Well, good morning again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just a, a joy to welcome you in. It, it is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day. But we, uh, you know, here at our church, like, kind of the way we roll is unless it's like Christmas or Easter, like a holiday specifically about Jesus, we just kind of continue whatever series we're doing and all that. And so if you were looking for like a great Mother's Day sermon, like, hey, Jesus had a mom, Jesus loved his mom, you should love your mom. So that's the Mother's Day sermon for today. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and if you're like, oh man, we came for baby dedications, which is, by the way, uh, awesome to get to do that. I haven't been able to do that for uh, two years now. Um, but the, uh, the thing that's really cool is um, this next Mother's Day, there should be, I think, about five ready to go. We've got, we've got four in the oven and one that just launched uh, and, uh, yesterday. Um, we've got um, Garrett and Tori Hall had their uh, baby Rosemary Joy yesterday. So that's awesome. We're super excited about that. You can clap. I didn't do anything for it, um, but they did. And so if they're online, like we're just glad for you guys. And so thank, um, thank Lauren, um, uh, George, uh, and Brian Wrong for leading worship. Garrett's going to get a couple weeks off to get to, get to be a dad. Um, and Tori, uh, really wanted to have that baby, I guess, before Mother's Day. She wanted this Mother's Day uh, to be a uh, mom. So, um, excited for what we got going on uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 9. Um, if you're like already starting to read through the text and you're like, I feel like I know what the theme of this one is. You're like, whoa, we're going to talk about money on Mother's Day? Well, just be grateful that it wasn't like several years ago when we were preaching through Matthew and the Mother's Day text was Jesus and politics. It was like, hey, happy Mother's Day. We've given you the gift of arguing with your mom at lunchtime. Um, and so that's not what's happening today. And so, um, but, but what we do here at Mercy Fellowship is that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and, and who love people. And so what that means is, as disciples of Jesus Christ, if you don't know what that means, it means that what God has done for us in Jesus Christ can, does, and will impact every area of our life. It impacts our parenting, it impacts our relationships, it impacts how we work our jobs, and it even impacts our, our money. And if we say that, that we exist to, to love God and to love people, then let's just talk a little bit for a second about what love is. Love is, yes, an emotion, love is desire, love is affection, but, but love at its, not, I don't want to say purest form, but most comprehensive form, isn't just emotion and attitude, but is also intention and action. And so we can actually learn a lot about ourselves and sometimes about others, but I hope we'd focus most just on ourselves on this, about what we love by how we spend our time by the things we think about, by the things we put intention to, by the things we even put our finances to. The reality is that every dollar you spend, every minute you use, is a doctrinal statement about what you believe about God, what you believe about who he is, about his provision, about what he's given you, about how he's shaped you and, and given you a purpose to, to steward. And so even when we understand the idea of wor worship, it really is worth-ship. Like, where do we assign worth to? And so um, we have to talk about things like generosity um, and giving because if we're going to be holistic disciples. 
But as we do that, I want us to start first with just the character and nature of God. And so we ask ourselves and we think about generosity, we think about giving, who is given first and who is given best? And, and if we're, you're a Christian, if you know the plot of the Bible, then we know that God is the first giver. God is the best giver. He's eternal, he's infinite, he's powerful. And, and how we interact with him is as creator who made the world who made us, uh, who made everything. And so God is an initiating agent who gave by speaking the universe into existence. And then we ask, well, well, what has been given? Okay, God gave first, God gave best, but no, he's, he's not just the creator of you and me. God being creator of the universe means that everything that you have, everything that we enjoy, Every breath we have, every moment of our lives is a gift from him. And so that even means like when you think about your talent, if you think about your story and maybe where you got educated or, or what job you have or what profession you have or, or what part of the world or country or even what time in history you live in, if you enjoy any flourishing at all, that is from the Lord. Because none of us got to determine which continent we were born on or what socioeconomic status we were born into, or what um, giftings we had, or, or what talents we possessed, or who our parents were, right? And so um, if we are going to understand that every resource that we have been given as a steward, every talent to cultivate, time to invest comes from him. Uh, and, and some of that I want to be clear is like, if you're like, oh, generosity, he's going to talk about tithing, and oh, he's going to talk about being charitable. Like, God gave you just things to enjoy. I mean, like, we had muffins today because muffins are great right? I, I mean, like everything that you enjoy, like, you, you know, your budget comes in, you're like, how do we spend? Well, yeah, I mean, pay the dang gun mortgage, right? Pay your rent. You need a place to live. You've got other obligations, like that's, that's fine and good, but like, again, all those things are resources for us to steward and, and, and for even for us to enjoy. And so when we ask like, okay, God's given us everything. Why would we give? Well, it's, it's a response to God. It's a response to what he's done. And, and if we can just be frank, um, our response to God is not usually by default uh, gratitude. It's not usually generosity. It's not satisfaction. But very early on in the story of the Bible, we see that, that um, Adam and Eve were given everything you can imagine. They were given work and purpose. They were put in a garden said, hey, see this organized, intentional, beautiful garden? I want you to go do that throughout the rest of the world. I want you to have kids and be fruitful and multiply. I want you to create civilizations and art and culture. I want you to cultivate this beautiful creation that I've given you. I, I want, to, want you guys to have lasting and loving relationships with one another, marked by, by intimacy and transparency and, and vulnerability and joy and, and all those things. And our response to that was, I feel like you're holding out on us. Because God said, well, no, there's, there's one tree that, that I just don't want you to eat of because that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All you know right now is good. And we're like, yeah, but what about evil? I got, I got some FOMO. I got some fear of missing out. Like, like God's holding out on us. And, and there's a real enemy, Satan, that comes in and says, hey, God is holding out on you. And more than that, or in addition to that, you don't even have to listen to that God. There's actually no consequences for you rejecting God. And so we bought in and bit in to this lie that by consuming what isn't ours to consume, that somehow it will lead us to greater satisfaction. 
And instead it just spiraled down into to, to loss and grief and scarcity and toil and, and separation from God. And that's what we call sin. That's why, it's not wrong to want, but that's why we want and aren't satisfied. It's because we are looking for our satisfaction in other things besides God, and so our motives matter to God. And what's amazing about this is while we have rejected God's perfect provision, God's response to us is so incredibly gracious and generous in that God's response to our rejection is to pursue relationship, to provide redemption, and even to promise restoration, satisfaction, wholeness. And we see this being fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. And so if you come in today and, and, and you're like, uh-oh, money, uh-oh, giving, uh-oh, generosity, no, no, just focus on Jesus. Just focus on the character and nature of God, who God in and through Jesus, God's son came to us intentionally. He died for us sacrificially. And, and cheerfully purchased and promised resurrected life for people now and people forever. And so all that we do is in a response to the gospel. And so that gets us into specifics here in chapter nine that we're gonna start working through. I know this is a long intro, but um, and really how do we give? Last week we looked at chapter eight and, and it kind of talked more about some of the, um, the why behind giving. This is kind of more, this is the nuts and bolts, guys. And so in good circumstances and bad, we're called to be generous givers and practice enduring giving. And so we believe um, that that we see in this text, we see in the narrative of scripture, that that means that our giving is gonna be marked by three things we're gonna talk about today. Number one, our giving is gonna be intentional. Number two, our giving is gonna be cheerful. And number three, our giving is gonna be sacrificial. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. I'm gonna read verses one through five, and we'll keep this thing going here. 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5 says this. This follows chapter 8, where where Paul has been encouraging them to give generously. And then he says in in chapter 8, verse 9, that you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by your poverty you might become rich. He's laid this all out. He said, church, you've been equipped, you've been blessed. And then he comes in here talking about this collection that's going to go to some other churches and bless the ministry here in verse uh, 1, chapter 9. Paul says this, writing to a church in Corinth. Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. He's talking about the giving. For you know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, that's the region Corinth was in, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and they find that you're not ready, we'd be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you've been promised so they may be ready as a willing gift and not as an excitation. Uh, and so we'll look at this here in, in a bit of detail. And so the big concept, the big idea I want us to have in this first section is this. God gives intentionally so that we can intentionally give. God gives intentionally so that we can intentionally give. And so when we look at this text and we look at the narrative of scripture and we see all that God does, God doesn't just do things out of accident. 
God isn't just highly responsive and reactive, like, oh, I had no plan for that. No, God is incredibly intentional. When Paul's writing to this church, he's saying, hey, um, y'all need to make a plan for your giving because you've expressed your desire. You said you wanted to give. We've shared your desire with other churches. They're all stirred up. A culture of generosity is being birthed even in the poorest of poor churches. And so, hey, we just want to see you guys intentionally follow through. And he's not just pulling that out of the air like, hey, you better be more disciplined. We see this in the character and nature of God in the whole narrative of scripture that God is knowledgeable, he's powerful, he's loving. And before the creation uh, of the world and all the way to the end of days, you see God is incredibly intentional. I mean, I'll just walk through this quickly. Genesis, God's the creator. Creates everything intentionally, blesses people, makes a plan for redemption even if it's a sin. In Exodus, God is a deliverer who intentionally gives freedom from slavery, leads his people away from bondage, takes them into wilderness, and there he provides for them. And and as you read Exodus, you'll even see there's chapters devoted to the tabernacle, which is kind of like this holy camping gear where like God's like very specific about what the plans are about what the structure is going to be. And then he even says, hey, how are you guys going to, going to have all this adornment? How are you guys going to have the equipment that you need for mission? Oh, the people of God are going to contribute to the needs of the mission of God. Super intentional about that. In Leviticus, God's a legislator, and he gives out hundreds of laws, not capriciously. He's not like waking up on a Tuesday and being like, we're in phase seven. You know, like, no, he, God's like, hey, I'm giving you all these laws and, and the intention of them is your flourishing. Even when it gets into minute health code details and, and, and dietary restrictions, it's not about the, the religious who stay away from that. It's, it's what's going to lead to flourishing, what's going to keep the camp clean, what's going to keep disease stamped down. In, there's a book called Numbers. You want to know if God's intentional, if God counts every dollar, every person, every hair on your head? Book called Numbers. And it like starts with, with like a military draft and the census and, and, and field guide on how all the seating arrangements should be for all the people of God when they worship. I mean, incredible intentionality. Joshua, God's a general who intentionally, strategically gives his people victory and he gives them a promised land. In, in Judges, even when God's people are at like the depth of their depravity and brokenness, God just gives them mercy by giving them justice and judges to, to save people from their own unfaithfulness. In First and Second Samuel, you see God's a priest who intentionally gives Samuel to his people as a priest to renew pure worship, and he anoints Saul as a king. First and second kings, we see God is an intentional king of kings. He gives people all these human kings so they can kind of say, hey, no, no, this is really what leadership looks like. It's not in building our kingdoms but it's in following and submitting to and enjoying our citizenship in his kingdom. And while humanity and God's people struggle and the kingdom totters and people fall into exile in Nehemiah, we see God is an intentional restorer. Read the first couple chapters of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, yeah, he prays, God moves, his heart's stirred by the brokenness of, of God's people, their lack of worship, the, how Jerusalem has, has fallen. And, and his response to that, purchase order from King Xerxes. Like you can read, it's like he went to E&E Lumber and said like, hey, this is what we need to rebuild Jerusalem. And then he, he asked for donations. 
And he asks for supplies and, and he intentionally goes back and, and, and builds and restores things to their former glory in the city walls. In the Psalms, we see God is not just a, a bean counter, right? Don't get in your head that God's just a cosmic accountant. In Psalms, we see the heart of God thinking and feeling with God so that we can process our emotions, our joys, our hurts, our pains, our sorrows, our gladness, our laments. All these things are in Psalms and, and he gives us this songbook which, which just shows us that God loves beauty and we're gonna come back to that again. In Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, we see that God the wise gives wisdom intentionally. Wisdom, how to work. Wisdom, how to process life. Song of Solomon, wisdom, how to love. Wisdom, how to have lots of Mother's Days. Okay, that's what that book's about. All right. If you know, you know. Prophets, God the prophet gives all these intentional messages to all these, all these people to come and tell and remind the people of God intentionally about God's promises to redeem and restore through his savior, King Jesus. And what's amazing about that is, is the last prophet, I mean, I could go through tons of awesome prophecies, but the last prophet's Malachi before 400 years of quiet. And, and Malachi is a short, small prophecy. And, and God spends significant time talking to his people as like the last message before like 400 years of not hearing from God. And he says, be intentional about your giving and about your contributions to the work of God. I mean, if, if, if the, again, if those are last words for a while, it's significant that God points that out. And so looking at the, the plot of scripture from garden to desert, and, and the Bible ends with a great city, from tabernacle to temples, from promised lands to promising the child, Emmanuel, to promising Jesus return. God is so intentional, intentionally planning to redeem, reconcile, and restore. And so because God is intentional about his glory and our joy, he's a creator, he's creative, uh, and and we see that God plans and God um, is intentional, he's made you and me to be intentional. He's made us to be, in a sense, I don't even, I don't want to use this word, I didn't put this, disciplined even. To actually have intention about how we spend our time, our money, our energy, even direct our thoughts, attentions, and, infection, uh, and uh, affections. And we know this. We know we're intentional. Because think about the things you enjoy most. Think about the things that you value most. And you usually don't even have to make a plan to do them. You don't have to make it, like, you know what, like, like, usually you're probably not, like, waking up thinking, like, I better plan to have coffee in the morning. Like, no, it's just going to be there. Like, I mean, the Keurig's going to be charged. We're, we're kind of weak sauce on that. We should probably up our coffee game. But, um, you know, you're intentional about the things that matter. You, 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 you like working out? You're intentional about it. You like taking care of your yard? You're intentional about it. You, we set up rhythms about what we believe is essential. Think about your vacations. Think about your time off. Think about your, your, you know, your job. And so when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he's saying, hey, you guys expressed your desire that you wanted to help further the mission of God by contributing specifically to, to, to help ease the burden uh, of those who are suffering and advance the gospel. And so he's saying, hey, I want you, like these words in this section have words like, um, he says, I want you to arrange in advance. Uh, I want you to have a plan. Uh, I want you to be prepared. All of these things are around intention. 
And so we ask ourselves here at Mercy Fellowship, am I giving purposefully and regularly? And, and we'll get to motives in a second, but verses um, you know, five uh, says this, like it uses this word gift, which means blessing. He's like, you know, I want you to prepare your, your gift. He says, I don't want it to be something that's an expectation, which is actually a word that translates greed or another way of giving grudgingly or giving to expect a return. Like, okay, I'm gonna do this, but I know it's gonna come back around. Like just this morning, I saw on Facebook, uh, a guy was like, hey, I just got to you know, you know, pay for the Starbucks behind me. And he's kind of like pat himself on the back. I was like, I know how that goes. It's because somebody paid the Starbucks before you. Unless you were like the starter, the originator of the like, you know, whole deal. Like, I mean, you did okay. No, it's not giving like in some cosmic karma, like it's, oh, it's gonna come back. It's like, no, no, I want you prepared for your gift. And so he says, we ask ourselves rather, am I giving purposefully and regularly? Here at Mercy Fellowship, we say our giving is consistent. It's a planned part of our life rhythms. Because Jesus gave intentionally, we give intentionally. And so that doesn't mean that there's not moments where your heart's stirred. That doesn't mean where there's not moments where you're like, oh man, I'm just, I'm really moved and I wanna give above and beyond or you know, uh, they just showed us a video or you know, whatever it is, or I just heard of a need. Yes and amen, that's awesome. But we're also to give, it says, of our first fruits to actually plan out in your budget what that looks like. It shouldn't be an afterthought. Okay, we'll, we'll keep going. Section two is, is about cheerful giving. God gives cheerfully so we can cheerfully give. Uh, verses six through 11, let's read, we'll keep going. This is Paul in these two chapters about giving in the middle of this letter. And by the way, we didn't like plan this series to be like, hey, let's make sure that the budget's doing okay at this point. This is just the, where the text is at, okay? Verse six, it says the point is this. I love it, just the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he's distributed freely as he's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So we see God gives cheerfully. God gives cheerfully, so we cheerfully give. And so, like I said, I love how the text says, here's the point. Your actions flow from your heart. Your actions flow from your heart. And then he goes into this kind of agricultural proverb about being intentional. Uh, And he said, hey, I know that that, that you wanna be intentional. Let's talk about why you wanna be intentional. It's because it comes from your heart's desire and desire is a response to what God has done. God wants our hearts to be glad in him. He doesn't want us to just do things out of duty. God is not impressed when you uh, walk in obedience and hate it. Right? If, if you're a parent, man, you've seen that in your kids, 
right? The, the do the dishes, the brush your teeth, the shoulder down, or even like the defiant, like fine, you know, I'll brush my teeth. You're like, yeah, you will, because you still want them later, right? You know, right? No, I mean, we've seen this. And so what, what I love about it is, is he uses this verse in verse six, and I think is as a church that we just like want to run from because uh, the charlatans on, on your, your, your cable church networks, right, are using this verse, sow your thousand dollar seeds so that you can get a hundred thousand back. Like, hey, you know, give, give us your, you know, your last mortgage so your grandkid can get saved. Like, no, that is demonic and evil. I said it last week, I'll say it this week, I'll say it any week you want to ask. He's not talking about a promise. If you believe somehow that in cheerfully giving, it's because it's like a rock-solid investment, like you went Dogecoin to the moon, Elon Musk is going on SNL, you know it's going up, right? And you know you're getting a return. It's not the way it works. He's not giving us a promise. He's pointing to a principle that shows itself out in agriculture. Say, hey, you want to not produce much? Easy way to not produce much. Just don't do much. Don't give much. Don't put much seed in the ground, and you will absolutely succeed at producing not much. But you want an opportunity to flourish? You want an opportunity to to see great flourishing? Then invest. Invest much. Give much. Be generous with how you spend your time, your your money, your energy. See, there's no opportunity for massive amounts of return when it comes to agriculture unless you're doing the work unless you're actually contributing. And then, and then you know, you know, if, if you're like, oh man, that's so legalistic. He's like, he's like oh, I gotta give, I gotta give. Then, then he just comes back at the end in chapter, or verse 10, and he just says, hey, God's the one that gave you the seed. God's the one that gives you food. So we talked about this last week in, in, in chapter eight, where God's never asking you to give necessarily beyond your ability to give. Paul was so clear. He said, hey, God's not asking you to do something that's gonna lead to your harm. Now, we'll talk about sacrificial in a moment. But he wants us to be reminded where we get everything from. So for example, um, when I think about my life, uh, I'm 41 years old now. I, I have a college degree. Uh, I, I, by God's grace, I've got a, a beautiful wife. We've got six kids. We live here uh, in, in what, what was once the great state of Washington, um, and it, which is now District 7 of the Hunger Games. Um, and, and, you know, we, we live in this beautiful place, okay? And uh, we live here. And when I think about the things in my life, there's a lot I can look at in my life and say, well, um, the reason that I got that college degree is because I worked really, really hard in school. Well, I had a mom, yeah, happy Mother's Day, mom, if you're online, um, you know, who, who was like, hey, you're gonna like finish your assignments. Hey, I'm gonna go, you know, help you with your scholarship applications. I'm going to, my mom drove with me all the way to Pullman, Washington, just so I knew I didn't want to go to Wazoo. Drove me all the way out there. I said, nope, you done make wise choices, okay, right? And so, like, and then, and then I went to the University of Washington, which I didn't do anything to create. Somebody else did. And I got to enjoy a career in marketing, marketing Starbucks coffee. Well, who made coffee? God. Who made coffee expensive? Howard Schultz, right? Like, so, like, this is how it goes. I wasn't involved in that. I just got to reap the blessing of generations of people cultivating a flourishing society, carrying out the mandate that God set forth from the beginning to be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, and make a culture of flourishing. So when I think about being generous, or I think about the fact that by God's grace I get to own a home in like 29 more years, it's not because, I mean, yeah, I would partner with God. I'm not like totally lazy, but like, 
wherever you're at in life, anything that you have that you enjoy, anything that you've been given from talent or ability, or, or maybe, maybe like, even like, yeah, I didn't, my mom and dad were tough, or I didn't like them, so I, I worked really hard to get out of that. Like, whoa, look at how God used even brokenness in your story to lead to flourishing. So our response should be one of gratitude. It should be one of cheerful giving. I mean, I love this. He just says, hey, everyone must give as they've decided, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're like not sure if God's a cheerful giver, I mean, when we walk outside today, just look up at the sun. Look at like the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset. Like Romans 1 says, what can be known about God is plain and can be seen in creation. So we don't worship creation, but we look at creation and say, oh my gosh, what an amazing creator. I mean, God must love us if how he designed uh, our lives to function so that when we eat good food, we just, mm, we're satisfied. When we have loving, intimate relationships, at times it even produces new life. If, if you're not sure about this, I just, I want you to look to Jesus again. And when God showed up, God, yeah, he intentionally actually entered into poverty. Born in a poor area, poor family, all that. Um, And then his first uh, miracle, uh, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of brokenness, wasn't to like set up, like, like Jesus didn't like set up a little vax tent and just have everybody come through, like boom, boom, boom. Like, what was Jesus' first miracle? He turned water into wine, not, not so that people could get drunk and just numb how terrible first century Palestine was, but instead, he did it at a wedding feast to enhance the enjoyment of the celebration of life and love. That's the character and nature of God. We know that God is a cheerful giver because even the gifts he gives can bring us good cheer. And so... As we, as we think about this and, and we, we struggle with this um, uh, because we're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm intentional. Um, yeah, I guess I, I, should, I should give. I mean, what, what I love here is, is verse eight. Just kind of look at this. God's able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency, or another translation is contentment. See, there's this lie that we believe that if we give, somehow we're gonna miss out. And he says, no, no, no. You can be generous and it can actually grow your contentment. Because rather than just kind of being this closed uh, you know, receptacle where you're like, okay, blessing comes in, like I think I have enough, I'm gonna kind of hoard it, like I'm, I'm kind of worried about God's provision. Instead, we've talked about this earlier in 1 Corinthians, or sorry, in 2 Corinthians in this series, that like, yeah, we can think about ourselves as a cup that's empty, full, whatever, but I think God wants us to be a conduit where resources are flowing. And yeah, I mean, for our enjoyment, yeah, I mean, clothes for the kids, yeah, like, you know, vacations, like, hey, that, that's fine, that's all good, don't, don't, don't be guilty if you enjoy life. I mean, we'll, I think we're doing Ecclesiastes in the fall, and there's just chapters on how we enjoy. But we can't think that everything that's been directed to us is to terminate with us. We have been blessed, he says, he says, I mean, he says, in every way. He says, you, you've been given in every way way. Where is that here? I want to see it here uh, purposely. Verse 8, you've been given all things at all times so you may abound in every work. Verse 11 says you'll be enriched in every way. Yeah, that's spiritual. 
Yeah, that, that's, that's emotional, that's relational. It's also tangible. It's also financial. So that you can just enjoy, live your life apart from God, independent of him. No, no, no. So that you can be generous in every way. Well, I mean, no, I, I serve. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, mean, I don't give my money, that's my money. No, so you can be generous in every way. Oh, I, I, I give, I write a check, I, just, just don't ask me that. <laughs> just don't ask me to serve kids. Like, oh, yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I, um, I give, I serve, but, you know, I just, mm, I don't even really like people. Like, no, we've been blessed to be a blessing comprehensively. And then what I love about this in verse 11, and he says, what produces out of that is thanksgiving. Like, the end result of enduring generosity, enduring giving, cheerful giving is gratitude, thanksgiving, joy. Okay, we'll keep going. Last big principle. So we had intentional, we had cheerful in this. God gives sacrificially so that we can sacrificially give. Verses 12 to the end says this. For the ministry of this service, that's the giving, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, so it was effective, but also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Well, they were long for you and you pray for you rather and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We give intentionally, we give cheerfully, and we give sacrificially because God gives sacrificially. It says God has given an expressible gift, right? You know, you, 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 you show up and, and you get a, uh, you know, for, uh, ladies back in the day, I, I think you could like go to a makeup counter, like free gift with purchase. And you're like, cool, thanks for the bag, right? It's not impressive. Um, I used to be in credit card marketing back in the day, uh, and we would give a free t-shirt if you sign up for a credit card. That's not an inexpressible gift. That's like a lure to get you to just be in debt. I mean, that, that was the plan. Yeah, so that's, that's why I don't do that anymore, okay? But we see these words here, like service, submission, confession, and generosity, and we're just like, oh, I don't like those ones. I don't like those ones because that cost me something. And then we forget about, again, who gave first and who gave best. And we read this verse last week, but I wanna come back to it again, um, because I think it's so important, because Jesus had all the riches of heaven. He emptied himself to the point of poverty for the purposes of bringing those who are spiritually poor, which is all of us because of sin, and making us rich in him. And it says this in Hebrews 12.2, 12.2, if you, you can write that down if you want. Hebrews 12.2, an amazing verse to just ponder and meditate on. And no matter what your circumstances, it says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we see that Jesus was driven by desire. Jesus is a cheerful giver. It says, for the joy set before him, but that desire led him not just to, to give cheerfully, not to just give intentionally, but also like, ah, but it didn't really cost him anything. No, he says, because of the joy set before him, because of the intention that he had to purchase a people for a purpose, because it does say he's at the right hand of the Father, he did what? 
Jesus endured the cross. Right, we read in Colossians where it says our sin is nailed to the cross, our debt of sin is paid. Jesus Christ is a sacrificial giver. The the core truth of the gospel is that because of our sin, we've been separated from that good and loving God. And the only thing that makes us whole and right with God and in right standing with God is not anything that we give, anything that we can do, but what Jesus has given and done for us. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is not just an example of how we give, it was an effective gift. Jesus in our place. Jesus, our substitute, is the good news of the gospel that we have new life through him because the death we deserve for sin was paid for on the cross. So when we come to communion and we remember Jesus' body broken for us and blood shed for us, that was what was paid because the wages of sin is death and that's what we would have received. Jesus instead receives it and then 2 Corinthians 2.5 says that we gave him our sin he gave us his righteousness so that you're made new you're made whole Jesus has already sacrificed for you so no amount of sacrificing earns God's favor I just want to be explicitly clear about that you come in today with a guilty conscience maybe that's the Holy Spirit trying to convict you of sin come to God and just receive his mercy Knowing Jesus paid for your sin, his blood washes you clean. You're a new creation. And just receive and praise God for that. You never knew Jesus at all. You didn't know anything at all about God. And now, now these, these truths are starting to hit home for you. Like, like, don't think like, all right, I gave 20 bucks, I'm in. Like, no, no, Jesus gave you his whole life and gave you his perfection so that when God sees you, he doesn't see your debt of sin. He looks at your ledger and says, paid in full. By the way, you're also now uh, ready to inherit the kingdom of God. Massive, massive wealth transfer. And so, because God was sacrificial, because Jesus was sacrificial, we also ask ourselves, is our giving sacrificial? Does our giving cost us something? And again, I wanna be clear. I'm not saying like you better give and like not make your mortgage payment or rent payment this month, right? But you ask yourself this question, okay, am I giving intentionally? What's my motivation for giving? Am I giving cheerfully? But then ask yourself this, am I giving sacrificially? Am I giving proportionally to how God's blessed me? Am I giving um, generously? Because I'll, I'll tell you, if, if, if you like give an amount, I mean, praise God for that. You keep the lights on, it'd be awesome, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you give an amount, but you're like, ah, it doesn't even, man, I just, I didn't feel that. I didn't even notice that. I mean, it says God loves a cheerful giver. So give cheerfully. But I think it's important for us to, to think through how we spend. So like, you might need to have a tough conversation with yourself or with your budget or with your spouse or whatever and say, okay, what, what, what do we spend our money on? Because again, that just lays out worship. So besides your house payment, like what's your next biggest bill? Because we sacrifice for what we love. Right? We give and spend on vacations. You know, we love youth sports, right? We love, uh, you know, trucks or car payments. Uh, like, like, you know, you sell, like, how much is this a month? 
Like what, whatever it is, and there's, there's a whole bunch of principles I could go into great detail about, but uh, I just want us to know that our giving's not to earn God's favor, but because we already have it. But if we don't look at giving holistically, cheerfully, intentionally, and sacrificially, you take one of those away, and I'm just gonna tell you, it's, it's likely not going to, to be as productive or as flourishing as if you have all three. And here's why I know this. If your giving's cheerful and sacrificial, but not regular, right, I give, happy about it, no plan, then your giving is going to be inconsistent. And, and, and you're, you're kind of going to be an undisciplined steward, right? I mean, God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He gives us fresh manna, fresh mercy on the daily. We can give faithfully. If your giving's regular and cheerful, but not sacrificial, okay, I, I give every week or I give whatever, and I'm, I'm happy about it. This sounds great. It doesn't really cost me anything. And I'm going to use this word, and I want to explain it, okay, so it doesn't steer too bad. Then I think, I think your giving could be ineffective. And what I mean by that is Paul here in these verses talks about their giving supplied the needs of some other saints. Like it moved the mission forward, like mission ammunition. We believe money is mission ammunition. And so on the one hand, is your giving substantial in that it's actually you know, blessing the mission of God and helping to move the mission forward? But, but more than that, when I say ineffective, if you don't even feel it or it's not a significant amount to you, then I don't think that it's going to effectively move your heart's affections to trust God more with your finances. So you, you might need to think about that a little bit because I mean, we said last week that where we put our treasure, our heart follows. So I don't wanna, it's not that it's not insignificant. This might not be effective to, to bless your neighbor and also shape your heart. All right, lastly, if your giving's regular and sacrificial but not cheerful, then let me just be clear, it's incomplete. So I can stand up here and be like, God doesn't care about your heart, he just wants your obedience. God wants our obedience. God wants us to repent of sin, of just trusting ourselves and, and receiving more of his grace and mercy and actually like, like being a conduit of, of mercy and grace to others. But God does not want your money. He doesn't need your money. God wants your whole life. He wants the entirety of your heart's affections. Not because he's some megalomaniac, but because he knows that when we are focused on him, when our eyes are set to him, when we look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, then the things of earth grow strangely dim. And we actually have greater, uh, he uses this word earlier in this section um, of sufficiency. He's actually talking about contentment. And so if you're, if you're regular and sacrificial about the, your giving, I just ask you to, to think about your motivations and pray that God would give you joy in that. And so what I want you to do now is just kind of ask yourself, what's your next step? Right, did you come in today and not know anything about the Lord or maybe you've been running away from God or maybe you've been rejecting God and, and, and you know, you're just in a place where, where the Holy Spirit's convicted you of sin that, that, that greater flourishing does not come from independence from God but in being dependent on God. And we just encourage you to become a Christian to surrender your life to the one who created life for you and for all of us. Maybe you need to, to be baptized, signifying the you that lives for yourself has died and the you that, that lives for Jesus has risen. We invite you to, to do that. Maybe you're a Christian, you're like, man, we came in on Mother's Day, you talked about giving. 
Maybe you do need to just take a moment to be intentional and look at your budget. Have a conversation with your spouse. Just look at your spending. Maybe just to assess, like, hey, what are the things I value? And again, don't hear me wrongly. God gives good gifts. And Jesus is really clear, like, hey, pagan dads give, you know, give their kids good gifts. Your father in heaven gives you amazing gifts. But he's given you resources to enjoy. He's also given you resources to steward and to bless. I think that part of why we don't give is ultimately it comes down to trust. We know there's scarcity. We know there's brokenness. We know there's unemployment. We know there's, um, you know, we can lose our houses. We know that all sorts of different things happen. And so we look at our bank accounts and we're just like, I don't, I don't know where the future holds. But it's because we've forgotten the one who holds the future. Who, the Bible says, owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's talking about the abundance of God's resources. That God has the ability to bless more than our ability to give. And so it really comes down to trust. Jonathan Edwards, the great um, uh, theologian, says it this way. All the difficulty in this matter is entrusting God with what we give, entrusting his promises. If men could but trust the faithfulness of God to his own promises, they would freely give. How we use our money matters. The condition of our hearts also matters. All that we have and all that we are is from God, and so we praise God the Father who's given us so much. He's given us life, and even in our sin, he's given us salvation that comes when and as we continue to simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.